0: There are not many things that you can spend $9.99 on that will make a difference to you every day and leave you smarter and more informed about the stories that matter to you. A pair of socks or a candle will not do that. But for the cost of one of those things, you can give yourself or someone you care about a full year subscription to The Washington Post for just 9 dollars This amazing deal is back and ends on January 4th. It only takes a minute to subscribe. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. And thank you. Like so many of us, health reporter Dan Diamond spent this past weekend talking about Omicron also known as Omicron. He was talking to friends and family who were asking him for advice about all these new cases popping up. And he was talking to public health officials, asking them how we're supposed to think about this latest stage of the pandemic.
1: Experts who have spent two years taking every step they could to avoid COVID. When I have been on the phone with them the past couple of days, I have asked almost all of them, do you think you're going to get Omicron? And everyone I have talked to has said, I have shifted my mindset. I am bracing, if not expecting, to get infected because this is so transmissible and it evades the vaccine protection.
0: Oh my gosh. What was your reaction to hearing that, hearing all these public health officials say, you know, I am i think it's very likely that I will personally be getting Omicron at some point soon?
1: Well, it's a bummer. I had a source who's worked in the government on on these issues who texted me on Friday as things were shutting down and said, this is the most depressing day of the pandemic, just because so much hope had been tied to vaccines and boosters will let things go back to normal.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, December 20th. Today, we're talking about Omicron, what we know about the variant, how it spreads, and what we can anticipate over the next couple months of this surge. Then, later in the show, I get some advice from reporter Fennet-Nirapil about holiday travel and how to stay optimistic during this latest round of bad news.
1: I think the sliver of good news as we speak The Omicron infections in lots of people who have been double vaccinated, who have boosters, appear to be relatively small. Now, I do know people who have had a rougher go of it, like a rough flu, but Mm -hmm. that's significantly better than the alternative of ending up in the hospital.
0: Yeah, that is my first question of like where we are at in terms of understanding the science around Omicron, because we have heard these reports that, oh, these are mild cases generally. But in some cases, it seems like that's actually not true or that it's a little bit more of a complicated picture. So how should we understand the question of exactly how intense Omicron is if you do get it?
1: In Southern Africa, where cases first exploded, there was a major rise in infections. It topped the previous surge from Delta. There were more cases in South Africa than ever before. But hospitalizations stayed relatively low. And mm. the question that everyone I've spoken to is, is trying to understand: why did that happen? Was it because in South Africa the population is younger? Is it because in South Africa there had been so many previous infections that people had some immunity that weakened the Omicron cases? how much can we really extrapolate from South Africa, and in part from Africa, where cases have taken a very different tack than they have across the rest of the world. We're also looking at data out of Europe, where in the UK and Denmark, cases are also going up dramatically, and it does appear that hospitalizations are rising faster than they did in Africa. And Anecdotally, I've spoken to doctors who are treating Omicron patients or patients that they believe to be infected by Omicron, who it's not clear yet that it's milder. They're having patients present in hospital with severe symptoms. So Hmm. we don't have the big data perspective, as one doctor put it to me yet, because we're still so early. This is three weeks or so after the first announcement of Omicron was made in South Africa. In comparison, Hmm. three weeks after COVID was first discovered in, in China, it was still... 2020, January. So there was a lot that happened before the explosion of cases in the U.S. in 2020 that allowed experts to get a handle on what COVID was. We're getting this understanding in real time with Omicron. Mm
0: -hmm. So where are we right now in terms of the cases that we've seen popping up in the U.S.? Where are these cases focused?
1: At this point, there are cases essentially everywhere. And Hmm. some of this is our lack of good data and good tracking. There is a retroactive effort to identify where Omicron first emerged. I've been speaking with doctors at Houston Methodist Health System in Texas. And on December 8th, they reported their first Omicron cases. For months, they had seen only Delta COVID cases. 100% of cases were Delta. And in the span of about a week, they went from their first detection of Omicron to more than 80% of COVID cases were Omicron. So the pace of Omicron is staggering. In how quickly it is supplanting Delta as the major driver of COVID in our country.
0: And can you tell me why this is spreading so quickly compared to other variants?
1: There are a couple of reasons. One, it appears that Omicron is multiplying faster in a person's respiratory system than previous variants. So if you're breathing out, you're breathing out more Omicron than you might have breathed out Delta And then the second Mm -hmm. reason is it is able to evade these antibodies that our systems have after being vaccinated, after being previously infected with COVID. The way that I've I've started to think about it now is like having bouncers at a club, right? These antibodies are bouncing out the infections that try and get in, but Omicron is is camouflaged in a way that it can get past those Mm -hmm. bouncers, those antibodies. We still have other layers of protection, in our immune system that are triggered when you're infected and the body can fight them off or minimize the symptoms. But Omicron can get past that first line of defense.
0: It's also so interesting, the timing of this surge, because so many people are getting tested because they're planning to go home for the holidays and to see their families. And I wonder if that is part of why we're seeing uh, so many positive cases and hearing from friends and family like oh my gosh i'm positive my neighbor's positive my friend is positive and i wonder if that's even a thing that public health officials are looking at as a useful thing that at least a lot of people are getting tested and are able to catch these positive cases early on
1: that's such a great point that the awareness of holiday gatherings is driving people to get tested so they can go to the holiday gatherings and this has underpinned the whole strategy in recent days. We know that Americans are about to celebrate holidays en masse. That means there's going to be more mixing. There will be people traveling. There will be cases spreading as a result. So even though on the front end, it might be driving more diagnoses as people rush to get tested, that's probably a better situation than going in blind and not knowing who's infected and who could potentially spread it.
0: But also then there's the question of getting access to tests, being able to get a test without waiting in line for three hours, getting back the results in any sort of meaningful period of time. And it seems like yet again we are in this moment where we're hearing people say, I can't get a test, or the line at the testing center by my house is going around the block. And why weren't we more prepared for this?
1: It's complicated, but it boils down to there wasn't enough emphasis on making those tests happen earlier this year, when it seemed that vaccines were going to be the pathway out of the pandemic, the White House attention, every distribution channel was focused on more vaccinations. Could argue that was the right strategy at the time, but it meant that there was less of an emphasis on making a market for these tests that Mm -hmm. increasingly seemed like maybe we wouldn't need if cases kept falling. And I think Based on what we know now, the failure to move faster on testing will be one of the biggest failures of 2021. But the effort to ramp up quickly, we can't do it overnight. This is the kind of decision that needed to be made in the spring where you could essentially make a market, Martine. The federal government would have to spend the money then to create the demand, get the production spooled up, as opposed to right now, where we might end up getting all the tests we need, but it will be too late to fight this current wave of Omicron.
0: And I think this is a pretty significant source of frustration with public health officials, with the government, the fact that the testing situation, which I think a lot of people had questions about for several months, that that has not been addressed. I'm thinking back to that press conference with Jen Psaki at the White House, where a reporter asked her a question about the lack of availability in testing. And she said something along the lines of, well, what do you want us to do, like send a test kit to the House of every American? Should we just send one to every American? maybe then then what ha- then what other happens if you if every american has one test how much does that cost and then what happens after that all i know is that other countries seem to be making them available for in greater quantities for less money well i think we share with the same objective which is to make them less expensive and more accessible right which looks now like yeah that would have been a appropriate response to what was happening then and certainly what is happening now
1: The Trump administration faced a choice of whether to send masks to every American in the spring of 2020, decided not to do it for optics reasons, for cost reasons. The Biden administration in choosing not to make more tests available, some of that came from the same reasoning. It was expensive. There were other priorities. It might not even be the best focus when you're trying to get Americans vaccinated. I think that decision will age very poorly.
0: What are some of the other decisions that have been made by government officials with the rise of Omicron and and how they are communicating messaging around this variant? Like, how are they trying to approach this, fix this problem, and how effective has it been?
1: Well, Martine, as we're speaking on Monday, there's been real frustration that the White House has been behind on messaging when it comes to Omicron. In their defense, this wave is moving faster than virtually anyone expected. Some of the data that, say, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has published has been outdated by the time they published it. So we we don't have the best information on where Omicron is, how many people are infected, and that's affecting what the White House has wanted to say. But one frustration point has been, what should people do if they are boosted, testing positive, have virtually no symptoms should they isolate for a certain period of days? What happens if a huge percentage of hospital workers who have been boosted test positive and they're not able to work at a moment when demand on the health system is going to be about as high as it may have been all pandemic? Those are the sorts of things that scientists, researchers are looking to the White House for clarity on. There's also a real question about the booster shots and why wasn't there more aggressive Messaging, pushing of them weeks ago to better prepare for the situation. It does appear that while Omicron can dance around the two doses of vaccine, the J and J shot, with a booster shot, it's raising up the antibody levels to a point that you can fend off more Omicron infections. It's it's not a certainty, but you have significant more protection for what's known as neutralizing uh, mm. the infection. So that's that's the first layer of defense that has largely been lost by Omicron and could be restored if people get booster shots.
0: Dan, I want to go back to what you just said about this question of What happens when you do test positive for COVID and wanting clear answers from the government about that, especially when you are vaccinated or boosted? And that maybe some of the thinking around the the protocol of a quarantine has changed from March of 2020 to now. So what is your sense of the answer to that question? Like if somebody gets a COVID test back this evening that is positive, like what should they do?
1: I'm merely a health reporter, but my my view is we are still in a pandemic where we know some percentage of Americans are vulnerable. They either haven't gotten shots, they've gotten shots but haven't gotten a booster yet so their immunity protection has waned, or they're immunocompromised. They're a transplant patient who can't hang on to the antibodies that will protect them. For their sake, at the very least, we have responsibility, I think, to not expose people when we have tested positive. At the same Mm -hmm. time, I think there is going to be a decision point coming if we need food workers, hospital workers, airplane pilots, and some huge percentage of them are technically sick, but don't actually have any symptoms because their body is doing such a good job fighting off the Omicron variant because they've been boosted, or because they were previously infected and then got a vaccine, and so they have significant immunity that's a decision that I'm I'm very much watching the White House for. What are they going to say if we reach that point where we need these workers who are infected but aren't feeling any symptoms?
0: So with all that in mind, like if, if a friend called you and said, you know, I like, should I just not be coming out of my house at all? Should I be Allowing myself to at least go for masked walks or being able to venture out a little bit while having tested positive. Like, what do you think is the right answer here?
1: I've been fielding questions from friends and family all month ever since the first emergence of Omicron. Ever since I was the dark cloud at Thanksgiving, warning <laughs> that this new variant had emerged and it was it was making me pessimistic about the next couple of weeks. What I have told folks who have worried about being exposed to Omicron is this is a reminder to wear a mask when you're in public, when you're interacting with people, to try and get tested to the best ability you can. Given the lack of access to tests, I know that's hard, but the more we can do to know our status at a moment when a lot of us are getting together for family gatherings, the better. And then for someone who tests positive but has no real symptoms, I still think there's a responsibility to stay home until we know more about what Omicron can do. If it truly is a mild infection in most people, that is wonderful news, despite the potential rise in cases that we're going to face in the short term. But we don't know that yet. And until we know more, erring on the side of caution, to me, ages the best than being reckless and regretting it later.
0: Absolutely. Dan, when is this going to be over? <laughs>
1: I I thought on some level life would be back to normal-ish by now. When we spoke a few weeks ago, Martine, I, I had started swimming again, which I'd put off for most of the pandemic because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be in these little locker rooms with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I had started making bigger travel plans again. But the pandemic is going to keep challenging us in ways that are unpredictable. It is possible that Omicron will end up being a blessing in disguise if it turns out to be minimal symptoms, spreads around the world, boosts immunity. There will be a lot of pain up front, but there also could be some benefit down the road. But we just don't know that yet. And that, unfortunately, is what happens with a novel virus. We we are combating it faster than ever, but it is evolving as fast as it can.
0: Dan Diamond is a health reporter for The Post. After the break, I ask the question that we are all wondering, should you still travel for the
2: holidays? So what I've been recommending to everyone is, you know, if you're going to be seeing your loved ones, if you're going to be traveling for Christmas, it's not a bad idea to lay low.
0: We'll be right back. It's hard to wrap your head around how quickly this variant has transformed our day-to-day thinking around what is safe and where we can go, when just a few weeks ago, nobody even knew about this variant or how it was pronounced. Actually,
2: pause for a second. How are we pronouncing Omicron? (laughs)
0: This is a question that I think about literally every day. I've been saying Omicron because that's what the dictionary says is the American pronunciation, but I recognize that a lot of other people are saying Omicron, so... I think that this is a safe space for various pronunciations of this variant. I'm
2: just going to stick to Omicron for the time being.
0: That's health reporter Fennett Nyarapil. I wanted to ask him how we should apply all this new information about Omicron to our plans for gathering during the holidays.
2: I think a lot of us were hoping to have that happy uh, Christmas and have something out of a Hallmark movie where after so long of dealing with this pandemic, it's now behind us and we can all get together. But that's just not reality right now. I mean, yes, People can get together. You're not seeing uh, public health officials telling people to stop their Christmas plans or stop their Christmas gatherings, and that's because we have the tools to reduce risk in a way that we didn't. So we have that ability to get tested before we see our family. We have that ability to lay low in the week leading up to traveling for the holidays. We have the ability to wear masks and to get a booster in advance as an extra layer of protection.
0: So how do you think people should be thinking about those decisions of deciding whether or not it's safe to be able to spend time with loved ones in the next few days?
2: So I think one of the big things that we should all um, bear in mind is that the way we behave now and the way we tolerate risk now in this uh, mid-December period is not going to be the same way we're tolerating risk a month from now. And that's because we're in kind of a unique position where the spikes are just about to start and everyone is traveling. So for me personally, I'm going to be more cautious in the lead up to Christmas in a way that I wouldn't necessarily have been had these spikes been starting in mid-January or mid-February. So what I've been recommending to everyone is, you know, if you're going to be seeing your loved ones, if you're going to be traveling for Christmas, it's not a bad idea to lay low and to reduce your risk level. So for us, my fiance and I were planning to travel to northern New Jersey for Christmas and spend time with his family. Everyone is vaccinated and boosted, but still, because there are older members of the family, I want to reduce their exposure to coronavirus as much as possible. But my fiance is a teacher. The school year just finished and he wanted to spend some time with some of his fellow teacher friends this past weekend. So we just devised a plan to do it in a way to minimize risk. He went to like a bar, but he went to the room top of the bar where there's no one else really sitting around him and he and his friends who all went out had all recently undergone a PCR test that came back negative so there are ways to go about living your life while reducing your risk and reducing your exposure and reducing the likelihood that you're going to be contributing to a massive spike in cases
0: i think i'm in a similar position right now my family is now here in my house staying with me Um, my mom got here last night and so it feels like the question of should they travel is a question that we have already gotten past but I think at this point you know one of our big traditions is to go to a movie on Christmas day and I think that is a conversation that we're having right now is is this worth the risk of going to a movie theater right now and I think where we're going to get to is no it's not worth the risk and so I think also this conversation is about what are you doing once you get to to your family or conversations that feel really urgent right now.
2: And the other part of the conversation, too, is think about how can I minimize my exposure to other people after the holidays and after I've been exposed myself. So it's not a bad idea to lay low after Christmas as well and to get tested so you know your status before you unwillingly end up exposing other people. Because if the preliminary evidence about Omicron being more mild does turn out to be correct and it's akin to nothing more than a bad cold or mild cold, for most uh, vaccinated and boosted people, that's good. But we also don't want people uh, spreading it around to the people who are going to have a harder time fighting back Omicron. And that includes the immunocompromised, the elderly and people who haven't been vaccinated. And I know that there's the temptation to say, you know, if you didn't get vaccinated, you've got what was coming to you. But there's a whole host of reasons that people may not have been uh, vaccinated. I would just caution against making assumptions about uh, the people around you.
0: And Bennett, what about holiday parties, like for people who still had plans to gather with friends, go to a bar or go hang out at somebody's house? Like, is that is that a thing that you would advise?
2: I think the decision to attend a holiday party totally depends on your individual circumstances and the circumstances of your family. For me, I decided to skip the holiday parties because of the anecdotal reports of outbreaks at holiday parties, even where there were testing requirements and vaccine requirements. I was comforted by the fact that a lot of the reports of outbreaks in the holiday parties were overwhelmingly people with mild symptoms. And so on a personal level, I'm not so much worried about getting a mild symptoms from Omicron as a vaccinated and fully boosted person, but I also want to attend Christmas. And so I don't want to have a mild infection that still forces me to quarantine. And I don't want to unwittingly infect older people in my family whose immune systems would have a harder time fighting back against Omicron, even if they are vaccinated. So for people like navigating these decisions With holiday parties and other social events before the holidays, this is one where I would say that the timing matters and that the risk decisions we're making now aren't the same decisions we're going to be making when we don't have holiday travel coming up.
0: And where does testing fit into this? We obviously have been talking about At-home tests, taking rapid tests to be able to at least get a little bit more peace of mind before seeing loved ones. But it seems like at this point, that's a little bit easier said than
2: done. Yeah, right now the testing system in the United States is under major strain because of huge demand with people wanting to get tested before they go home for the holidays with people increasingly exposed to the virus as it's surging in various parts of the country and with the testing requirements in order to travel or attend big events. So, we are seeing people facing challenges buying a rapid test kit or getting an appointment for a test. Usually, it's not insurmountable because there's so many different testing options out there from public to private but the experts that i talked to say that good pandemic response would make testing really easy cuz you don't want to have those hurdles in there of someone saying well i looked at CVS i looked at Walgreens i yeah, did I, I i can't deal with this anymore i'm done here i'm probably just a cold
0: i think that for so many of us who were dreaming of this hallmark holiday season where we could just feel vaccinated, feel chill, be able to enjoy time with our loved ones. And it's just, I think, exhausting to be entering yet another surge and going into this holiday season being very worried. Um, What is your advice on how we can balance this sense of complete exhaustion with needing to still be braced for another wave?
2: It's hard. And I just want to say first and foremost that it's okay to be fed up with this. It's okay to feel exhausted. It's okay to be at your wit's end because a lot of us are. And this virus has been causing havoc for so long. But the other point that I would make too is that, you know, almost two years into this, we realize that it's not at the same five alarm fire every single week, every single month. But this is a time that we want to be uh, thoughtful, both about us as an individual and for our communities. Because even if most people who get sick in the latest surge end up being fine. Remember, even if the hospitalization rate with Omicron is lower, if a lot of people are getting sick and all at the same time, a small percentage of that is still a large number of people who are going to be going to the hospitals. That can end up straining the healthcare system and making it harder for everyone to get care, whether you slice your hand while cooking for Christmas or if you get into a car accident. We want a good functioning health care system. And right now we do face a risk if there's a massive explosion of cases all at once. So what I would say to people is look at the moment that we're in as hopefully a temporary moment and just remember that there's a lot that we've learned over the last two years. There's a lot we've learned about navigating risk. There's a lot we've learned about how to protect ourselves. So even though it can feel like spring 2020 at times with that sense of foreboding doom, it's not spring 2020. We've grown so much as a society and as individuals since then.
0: Bennett-Nirapil covers healthcare and the coronavirus for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Renny Svarnovsky and Emma Talkoff. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Ariel Plotnick. Don't forget to head to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe to get a great deal on a one-year subscription to The Post for just $9.99. Again, that's WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe.